0: Hello and welcome to Tools in the Shed, a podcast powered by Cars Guide, ready to rip into car stuff that has caught our eye this week. I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor, James, and with me is Deputy News Editor, Justin. Hello. And key contributor, Byron. Hello there. Great. This week, we're looking at the electric car invasion set to storm Australian shores in the second half of this year. Um, they're coming Um, we'll also discuss a trio of recent entries to the Cars Guide Garage then dive into your thoughts on last week's episode and it's time to announce the next step in our podcast journey from next week look out for the wait for it Cars Guide podcast Um, with with, that's spelt p-o-d-c-a-r-s-t we're still tools Um, That'll never change, um, quite obviously. But um, the aim is to make it easier to find us, and hence the, frankly, brilliant adoption of our brand ID for, for that. So look out for Cars Guide podcast. YouTubers, you can jump ahead courtesy of the time codes in the notes below, and you can click on the chapter markers in the timeline. So let's go. And the electric car invasion, they're coming thick and fast now. Despite the lack of government incentives, Uh, A wave of new battery electric vehicles, uh, call them BEVs or EVs, is building for the second half of this year. Um, EV infrastructure is actually growing. uh, And this year, we've already seen the Hyundai Kona Electric, Kia e-Niro, Mini Cooper SE and Nissan Leaf E+, joining existing models from Audi, BMW, Hyundai, Jaguar, Mercedes-Benz, Nissan, Porsche, and of course, Tesla. There are another 10 big arrivals for the second half of this year, two of which we'll look at in a bit of depth because these two blokes um, have just driven them and the reviews went up on carsguide.com.a yesterday. Uh, we'll give you the details on the others coming down the pipeline from affordable to ultra, ultra premium. So Byron, can I kick it off with you, please? You have just experienced the Mazda MX-30 electric, Mazda's first uh, mass production electric vehicle. Can you fill us in on uh, the car and your impressions, please? Indeed, I
1: can. Thank you, James. Uh, I can't I can't recall possibly a car that's come with more baggage before its launch than this particular car. And um, as you said, it's Mazda's first electric vehicle and definitely not its last because um, – Pretty much accompanying this car's imminent arrival uh, a few weeks ago was uh, Mazda's announcement that it is going, like, hell for leather, down the electrification path. This is the first of many electric vehicles or electrified vehicles, and uh, and it's certainly probably, as I said, the most controversial. Uh, Just in case you've been living under a rock or in a cave, or. What not, you know, there yes, are some as, people as I've Justin been, does, as Justin that's does, true. that's right. Yeah, um, some literally. people are just going <laughs> ew, to the MX 30s, MX 30E's um range, which is a frankly not very impressive 200 kilometers. Um,
2: on the WLTP, yeah, I was going to ask Byron, does it have range? <laughs> I thought well, it was more of an installation than an actual car. Oh. Anyway.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, the other thing is its pricing. It's $65,490 oh, before yeah. on-road costs, which puts a bang into uh, the territory uh, accompanied by cars that offer almost or probably beyond double the battery range. Like we're is talking there, almost 480 or 90 kilometres.
0: Is, is the range thing, though, Byron, a conscious decision? Well, obviously it's a conscious decision, but, you know, a move by Mazda to say this is going to be exclusively a city vehicle? And it's not going to do more than, than 200 kilometers would cover. Mm. And so therefore we can make it a bit lighter. We can make it a little better to drive. We're just going to be very focused in terms of this car's purpose.
1: Uh, correct, James. So, you know, whether you think it's, um, you know, it's drinking the um, drinking the, uh,
0: the Kool-Aid, the master Kool-Aid. Yeah. Which is rather tasty. I mean,
1: I, yeah. Well, that's just it. Look, you know, it's easy to be cynical about this car, isn't it, Justin? Because it, it, the facts are there. It, it doesn't, um, it, it just, you just can't drive that as far on a charge, on a single charge, than you can with, say, the um, almost identically priced and positioned Kona Electric EV by Hyundai. But Mass's argument is that, you know, this car, you um, it's easier on the planet as a result of having a much smaller battery that is quicker to charge, uh, that results in a vehicle that weighs hundreds of kilograms less right. than right. say a Mercedes EQA, um, yeah. but still, um, is great to drive, has high quality and, um, you know, will presumably be reliable and dependable as Mazes um, are or have a reputation for being. Now I went into this, uh, I went to the launch and uh, drove this car with a view that, gee, it's really got one um, arm tied behind its back. But driving it, I realized that from a packaging point of view, um, what Amazda has done is that they've looked at the BMW i3 and thought, well, we can probably create a, um, a take on this car that will have limited appeal, but will do what it's designed to do properly. So, yes, as you said, um, it's aimed at kind of mer- um, metro and urban uh, owners who uh, do commutes that aren't, you know, aren't required, you know, to take two hundred kilometres to complete. PTA. That's right. If if you're doing
0: forty kilometres round trip a day as a, as a city commute, two hundred is overkill. Yeah, yeah
1: exactly, and. Uh, but it's clothed in a body which I think looks great in real life. Uh, the interior is lovely. Um, and from a uh, drivability point of view, it it drives the way you expect a properly sorted out master to drive. So it feels good. But the thing that I like most is that it's refined and it's quiet, um, not just from an e- uh, electric electrification point of view, but in terms of um, the material use, uh, the interesting textures that the car has, which... Uh, I think an ode to the i3 as well because it uses mm. cork and and that sort of thing and the and the um, and the Maztex uh, vinyl uh, uh,
0: yeah. trim is- I'm, wor- I'm worried about the the um, the herds of wild Maztexes that are being uh, <laughs> <It's> uh, slotted, <laughs> plundered for all of that yeah, you know, yeah. trim material.
1: Yeah, um, and then and then I thought, well, if you're going to be driving around in a in you know in an urban environment in a car that kind of locks the world outside in its kind of cocooned comfort and opulence. And that's not such a bad thing. And look, I I had a a Nissan Leaf, a first generation Nissan Leaf for a few years, um, several years ago, when there was virtually no infrastructure here in Melbourne for electric vehicles. And that car barely uh, managed 100 kilometres of range, which is less than half of what this does. And, you know, my partner would drive it, uh, you know, across the city, uh, 30 or 40 kilometres away, uh, to and from Uh, where he worked and it was fine it was it was fine to go a couple of days without charging it or you could charge it at university or you could charge it back home and you learn to live with that and it just wasn't an issue and yes the the biggest problem with this car is that it it can't do those long trips so you would probably need to either have a second car or Mazda should provide some sort of subscription service where if you want to go on a long trip, if you want to go to the uh, Alpine region or down the coast or that sort of thing, maybe you should be able to have an MX-30 with access to a CX-30 or an MX-5 cx or an MX-5 for that matter. Um, I think that's the solution that Mazda should um, investigate. But overall, I found it quite a compelling and um, enjoyable ev experience and you know it's got a few flaws such as uh uh it's difficult to see out of when you're driving it around town so that kind of compromises its uh urban kind of uh, focus um but and you know those freestyle doors that open the rear hinged uh forward opening rear doors can be a little bit of a pain but then you're not really buying this car as a family car although it there is enough space in the back um as a family that car is. it's just not
0: um it's not very roomy. Justin, but- you, you you have an opinion?
2: Let's <laughs> just to say that the rear seat in the MX-30 is uh, <laughs> compromised, to say the least. So I was just wondering what kind of family fit in that. And
0: not only are those doors are they awkward when you're in a, a park next to another car, you can't wind the rear windows down. So that, no. that whole sense of claustrophobia um, because the B pillars are super thick because mm-hmm. they're strengthened up from a safety point of view, yeah. and you can't wind the windows down Ooh, i don't know you have to and open if the front do,
2: door to open the rear doors as well so that's a pain you're you completely painful. all in when it comes yeah, to irrespective using of of the South power car.
0: that's it irrespective Look, of the powertrain i think it's mazda just saying hey bmw we had these doors before you and we're going <laughs> to yeah. do them again and ugh.
1: or is mazda saying hey world hey fg toyota fg cruiser drivers." Are you looking for an electric vehicle where, you know, you get similarly bad packaging, but it's something that you can feel fun and, uh, you know, you can feel oh, good geez. about driving? Well, here's, our, here's your car. That's well, what I think.
0: That's that's good. Look, in the interests of, um, of time, we thank you, Byron. We better move on. And, Justin, you've been in a very similar situation in that you've driven a fresh uh, electric vehicle. It's mm-hmm. uh, a kind of similar size, really, but um, yeah. slightly different positioning and, and all of that. Fill us in, please.
2: Yeah, unlike the MX-30 electric, this is uh, probably not as ill-conceived, so that's good. Um,
1: you anyway. will keep,
2: mister. You will keep. <laughs> Break out the burn kit. Yes. I'm never going to stop. Uh, yes, JC, I had the pleasure of driving the Mercedes-Benz EQA recently. For those of you who don't know, the EQA is based on the GLA, so it's a small SUV. It's based on the same platform, in fact. So out goes the petrol and or diesel, sorry, not and or, the petrol or diesel engine and uh, and replaced with an electric powertrain. So I drive the EQA 250, which is the entry-level variant. It's a single electric motor. There is an all-wheel drive option called the 350 coming later this year. Um, But uh, yeah, look, being based on an internal combustion engine platform that obviously much like the MX-30, some compromises around packaging. So compared to a GLA, the boot's about... 100 litres smaller, so that's not as good. The rear bench positioning is quite high because of the battery being on the floor. Um, So it's a bit of an awkward squatting position for those in the rear. Um, So that isn't so good as well, but that's pretty much where the negatives kind of end um, for it, really. It's quite a compelling car to drive. It's relatively comfortable, not amazing, but comfortable enough around the city and in the country. Um, but I suppose price is an interesting one. So again, compared to the MX-30 electric, it's about $10,000 more expensive. The range is 420Ks, so double, more than double what you get out of an MX-30, which in itself is probably worth 10 grand, but you're getting a Mercedes badge as well. Um, Sorry, I just, (laughs) I can't help myself. I'm not going to write a reply here, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe later, but let me continue first. <laughs> um, yeah, so look, in terms of positioning compared to mainstream competitors like potentially an MX-30 or a Kona Electric, you know, you're spending $10,000 more and getting that Mercedes badge. Arguably, when you compare it to a Kona, though, you are getting less standard equipment. Um, and I suppose with the MX-30 as well, but um, Yeah. That's just something to keep in mind there. But in terms of its own competitive set set in the premium segment, the Volvo XC40 uh, is within $200 of the EQA 250. It's about $77,000. But the Volvo XC40 Recharge Pure Electric, to use its full name, uh, has Far higher outputs, 300 kilowatts, 660 newton meters, whereas this EQA 250 is 140 kilowatts and 375 newton meters. So, mm-hmm. for the same money, that Volvo is far and away better value. Um, you know, it's all wheel drive, so dual motor powertrain as standard. So, mm-hmm. they're not really apples for apples in that regard. So, I guess you can actually probably say that the EQA 250 is relatively expensive. That's certainly my view. Um, So that's, I guess, a mark against it as well. But aside from that, one thing in particular that I really like about the EQA 250 is the regenerative braking. I think Mercedes has done an amazing job in terms of giving uh, owners the option of what they want to get out of the brake pedal, essentially. Um, So there's five modes, believe it or not, uh, for it. Um, But they're more regular modes. There's a, a D mode, which as soon as you lift off the Uh, accelerator you get a bit of uh, motor braking um, the same way you would in any sort of like petrol or diesel car um, with engine braking Um, but then if you really want to tap into that regenerative braking then there's a mode called d minus or d minus minus which progressively increase the aggressiveness of the regen sounds like my
0: my maths results there thank you and oh, yeah, that, I was
2: going to say, it doesn't sound good, does it? Doesn't two <laughs> negatives make it, like, negate? Make a positive. Much? Yeah, two negatives make a positive. So let's call it D plus in that case, in which case the <laughs> math yes. results are getting better, Jason. That'd so be a great result. Keep working hard. Yeah, uh, yeah. But no, let's, let's call it D plus. Uh, but D plus is my favourite because um, basically it enables one pedal driving, which is something the Nissan Leaf does brilliantly. Um, but basically, yeah, you can get around town without ever having to touch the brake pedal, without ever actually having to use the friction brakes, and the its 30, that is the, full the, the MX30, MX30 has that too, has by the way.
0: Five, five as well, isn't it? Five the MX, modes. The MX30 has five modes as well. Yeah. yeah. If you're not going to mention them, Byron, then
2: they don't exist.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. Just because you're a better reviewer than me, stop showing off.
0: Ah. Do you know? Nah. Do you know what? Do you know what's interesting? I think back to the first A class, the Moose test failing A class, yeah. Yeah. and how it was already prepped for a battery. You know that 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 way back then. Uh, Mercedes-Benz was always thinking, yeah, this could become electrified. Oh, it's a really long horizon uh, for Mercedes-Benz all the time. So that A-Class, this car that you've just been driving, um, has been coming for some time.
2: Yeah, the Funnily enough, is- the EQA was originally meant to be a hatchback. Um, and only later in life they decided that, hey, rather than basing on the A-Class, let's do the GLA instead. But obviously, they're related, so they weren't too far apart but yeah obviously as trends have changed and small suvs are on the rise hatchbacks on the way out they made the logical decision you know what eqa shouldn't be a hatchback let's do small suv instead cool. and that's ultimately going to be a wise decision i would say yeah um but just to finish on the regenerative braking d plus the one thing it doesn't do is it will bring you to a crawl not a complete stop whereas something like a nissan leaf will actually bring you to a complete stop so it's not true one pedal driving but it's damn close but anyway my point is if you owned it and you didn't want to drive it like an electric car, you can drive it like a petrol car. The option's there. So I think that's really cool. Um, but yeah, in terms of performance, I personally would be hanging for the 350, that dual motor one. It's got 210 kilowatts of power, 500 and, sorry, 215 kilowatts of power and 520 new years of torque. It's going to be much sprightlier. The EQA 250 is not too quick. Around the city though, off the line, obviously you've got that instant torque. So again, if you were a primarily urban driver, then you're going to be quite pleased with uh, the types of cars that you can beat off the line, but ultimately they're going to catch an you because it doesn't get uh, much faster after you hit 60Ks. But an EQA 350 um, would certainly have a bit more punch if that's your type of thing. Um, but look, as an overall uh, car, definitely some compromises to it, um, being not a dedicated EV platform or anything like that. But still, um, I think they're going to find quite a few buyers with it because it's fairly compelling. I think it's hilarious that you say that. uh oh, you know the boot,
1: the boot space is, or the cargo capacity is uh, reduced compared to yeah.
2: that bastion of boot space, the GLA that it's based <laughs> on. Well, the G, the GLA has standards about four hundred and thirty. No, sorry, four hundred and forty-five liters or thereabouts, and this is three hundred and forty. So three forty is, is actually less more than, than, than you get the, in the MX. Golf. Which is actually more than an MX Thirty. So yeah, yeah. Well, I know. Yeah. I, I mean, I went without saying I didn't have to say it. but Thank you yeah. for bringing it up. Um, yeah. But yes, it is more than an MX Thirty. What's it's, the right? Yeah. What's
1: the right quality like on that? On that EQA?
2: Does the right quality. I don't think it's horrible. If you if you go for the AMG line, you get the twenty-inch wheels, and they spoil it a little bit, but. I don't think it's too bad. It's fairly comfortable. Obviously, on coarse chip surfaces, it's not great. And that car is worth mentioning that it weighs 2,040 kilos, which is about the same as a Kluger hybrid does, believe it or not. Wow. Um and it's or, or, I think X30, can tell me. Or, or an MX30, Mx30. In a, in a, well, i was, was gonna say the MX30 yeah. is like 400 kilos lighter, thereabouts, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. Anyway, so it's 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 a porker, not a Porsche, a Porker. Um, so that's, that's not particularly good. Um, that means it's obviously a little stiffly sprung as well. So yeah, the ride could be better, but I think on the whole, it's relatively good. So is it a corker for a porker? So, well, I, I thought the MX-30 would be a corker given the inclusion of cork inside. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now
0: that's good. That's good. Justin, Byron, thank you for those, uh, rapid reviews. I th- speaking of rapid, I think what we'll do with the the wave that's starting to break on Australian shores, let's let's kind of rattle through them and just see what we think. You know, possible success, possible not. Which which way do we see it going? Um, let's kick it off with BMW. They've got a couple, IX three and IX. Byron, what do you think? The iX3,
1: which uh, is an intriguing car for a couple of reasons. It'll be, I think, BMW's first car made in China that uh, is going on sale. Um, It also seems to be really well packaged, right-sized vehicle. Um, And the x 3 is one of those SUVs that's been getting better with, uh, I, I think, with with um as it's getting older 460 kilometer range yeah yeah so um i think that that would be um kind of bmw's atonement i guess for the uh the compromises at the i3 which i love the i3 by the way um don't get me wrong so do I. but so do but i, the, I the atonement in terms of just it being a more mainstream and practical vehicle um, okay okay but- we've got it
0: we've got to keep going justin yep
2: uh yeah ix3 is going to be a hot seller but the thing i'm personally looking forward to uh maybe not hot seller let me call that off but uh the thing that i'm looking forward to settle down boy or (laughs) or is the long tiger because because the ix is the first example the first true example of bmw's next generation of electric vehicles um it's got all the new stuff all the new battery technology electric motors all that kind of stuff ix3 yeah whatever but it's it's the iX that's the real interesting one it's obviously got quite divisive styling as well love the styling um, love, I love the fact that it's so hateable um, and yeah. BMW has done that a lot recently with 4 Series and what have you so I think that in itself is a statement obviously but I'm yeah. very excited to drive it and see what that next generation is like the interior is completely different completely new multimedia like it is a properly next generation yeah. car. it's
0: like the freshest BMW in the world with an axle yeah, yeah. grill with a four it, it it seems yeah. as though it BMW sees the role to once in a generation just outrage public sensibilities with some kind of styling slash design outrage. Absolutely, um, And, you know, I remember when people were picketing the four cylinder building in Munich because Chris Bangle had done a new seven series and five series yes. and they thought the brand was going down the toilet. Yes. So um, anyway, look, that that's kind of part of their cyclical history. Mm-hmm. Um, now, next, uh, Hyundai Ionic 5. Um, I think think that's going to have some success in this market but um am I alone what do you guys
2: reckon I think it's shaping up as uh, maybe Tesla will have a thing to say about this but I think there's a good chance it could be the best selling electric car in Australia at some point non-Tesla perhaps but it's got all the right ingredients it's a Hyundai so mid-size SUV if you want to call it that's really a high-riding hatchback that's on the larger (laughs) side but um, again, speaking of like next generation uh, electric cars, this is on a dedicated platform, uh, which I know I was mentioning earlier, um, the lack thereof yeah. on many of electric cars, but this is a dedicated platform. So there are going to be very few compromises in terms of packaging and, and what have you. So I'm very excited for Ionic 5, and I think it's got the potential to do big things. Yeah, Byron. I
1: think it combines everything that's good in EVs, in a package that's really good. My only issue with that car is that Hyundai should have called it the Pony. Uh, the oh, that's Remember, a nice idea. Sort of, yeah, because yeah, you know, it harks nice back idea. to the uh, original um, uh, bespoke Hyundai design vehicle from the mid-70s. that Do you never know, saw I, call the my
0: first visit to the All Sun uh, plant, ponies were still being built. There you go. That's how hey. old I am. Um, I think it's possibly the best looking car, irrespective of what powers it. Um, to have to have been put out there uh, this year, I think it's. I'm glad amazing. you brought that up. It I is. Think it's, it's got it's that amazing. retro chic style, oh.
2: and it goes back to the pony, in fact, yeah. and the 45 concept, which it's based on, which again was referencing the pony and, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. it's it's retro and cool.
0: I think it's cool. a real trendsetter, and you'll see elements of that car will influence others. It's oh, it's yeah. really really a groundbreaker. Uh, I I reckon we should petition Hyundai and all our viewers mm -hmm. and readers.
1: Let's call it the pony.
0: You're right. I
2: think, yeah,
0: yeah, I reckon that's got about as much hope as my uh, campaign to get people swapping to the other side of the road, which I've been um, running, you know, personally, <laughs> uh, occasionally, just to, to encourage it so we can get the models that we're not getting at the moment. Our new mm-hmm. series of preposterous ideas. Preposterous ideas. Yeah. Now, n- not a, pre- a preposterous idea is the Volvo that we were talking about just uh, a little while ago, the XC40 Recharge Pure Electric, third quarter of this year, so not too far away. Uh, Volvo is really um, hitting some 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 uh, pretty good goals with its electric cars. What do we think about this one? I reckon it's the second best looking <laughs> EV
1: that's coming because <laughs> I love the look and the proportion and the yeah and just the quality and the Volvo ness, the sheer Volvo ness of, of this car. And uh,
0: Justin, you called it too. It's powerful. It has got so much grunt.
2: Price point they've been able to bring it in at compared again to an EQA 250 or a Tesla Model 3 Standard Range Plus or a Kona Electric all within ten twelve thousand dollars of the Volvo. It's insane. Like it yeah. is a properly powerful uh, car. You know, under five seconds to one hundred, and and on on the road you're going to get it for you know just over eighty. Yeah, um, grand without options, and I think what you're getting for that amount of money is is pretty staggering. So they've done a pretty pretty damn good job, I would have thought, with the price.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how much uh, Volvo can support it in terms of you know publicising the thing, marketing it. Um, when you're up against the likes of of Mazda and Mercedes-Benz, um, Volvo's been doing much better in terms of sales in Australia in recent years, but um, they're not in the same kind of scale as, as those, but it could be the making of them, you know. Mm. Now, um, Audi, Audi, e-tron, there's a name that already um, is, is uh, well-known, but we've got two pretty exciting the cars coming in the second half this year. The e-tron S is, a, as the name implies, a sportier version of the e-tron that we're already familiar with. And then we've got the e-tron GT, which talk about stunning looks. That's a really aggressive, macho-looking uh, mm. GT-style car. Um that's so we're told second half for etron s and third quarter more specifically for etron gt. Both of those sound pretty exciting, but the etron GT looks amazing.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say the Etron S certainly doesn't excite me as much as the Etron GT. I mean the Etron S has got a, a tri-motor powertrain, so that'll be interesting torque vectoring on the rear axle, all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. that, that will be um fun to drive, I'm sure. But yeah, Etron GT. For those of you that don't know it is basically the twin to the porsche Tycon. so again dedicated platform for evs the TyCon, in my opinion is the best electric car i've ever driven so the e-tron gt um, by default should be pretty bloody good yeah yeah and you know it's slightly more
1: comfort and uh, user-orientated compared to the porsche slightly um but it also has its own style i, I think it's
0: it's oh, yeah, does it ever. Mm. And there's also um, in the wings is an RS GT, which I presume, Justin, would be the equivalent of a Turbo S Taycan.
2: Uh, turbo, actually, would you believe it? So, oh, turbo. has obviously gone to the uh, negotiating room and, oh. and made sure that they could protect Turbo <laughs> S. But, yeah, yeah RS is, is more or less on the same level as Turbo. The Taycan and Etron GT's variants have slightly different outputs, um, but they're more or less line balls. So RS is the equivalent to turbo. I think and the what I would um, say, having driven the turbo and turbo S Taikan, is you really can't tell the difference between the turbo and the turbo S. Like that RS version of the eTron GT will be stunning, I'm sure. I've been pronouncing in the, it, it wrong. Ta, in ta- Taikan? Can't. Taikan. Taikan. In yeah. the, the
0: Ferdinand Pieck era, the negotiating room at VW Group was padded and there were various weapons in there. I think it, uh, it <laughs> did come to serious blows during that time. Um, that's good. Then Lexus, Lexus UX 300 E we're told November. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and it's not quite in the same performance ballpark, but it's Lexus getting into the the whole EV thing.
1: Yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting because it, um, it's, it'll be the first electrified TNGA platform vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, so it will give us a taste of what we can expect, uh, from Toyota's, um, you know, albeit in a much more salubrious and, uh, and expensive package compared to what the Toyotas might be. But yeah, I'm looking forward to that. What do you reckon, Justin?
2: What I would say uh, in particular that I'm kind of interested in, and that goes to a point you made earlier, Byron, about the Darius MX-30, was Lexus. (laughs) Uh, No, I can't. It's a concerted campaign. It is, it is. It's a smear campaign. Uh, the UX300e, though, um, it's got decent range. I think from memory, it's about 340Ks thereabouts. Um, I think we're
0: saying it's a bit more than that. 400, oh, sorry, is close to 400?
2: 400? Yeah. Either way. Okay, so that's double what you get with an MX30. But even so, uh, Lexus have their Encore Platinum program, whatever, um, that will probably come with this car as standard, meaning that if you did want to drive to Brisbane, in fact, um, you right. could just go and get an RX um, or whatever, um, as part of that membership uh, and not drive your UX there. So I know, Byron, you were mentioning earlier that those city based people that might want to go for a drive should potentially have a subscription or option to drive something else. That's what you're going to get with the UX. Yeah. Interesting. It's um, smart, so you're going to have smart. a bit of versatility there, which is mm. interesting and not really something that anyone else is doing at the moment. In and we all love so versatility. Yeah, yeah. A bit of
0: versatility. Oh, I totally so. love it. I live for versatility. Mm. Now, the, but, the then we are at the Upper end um of the spectrum, we've been talking about uh EQA, EQS, um, which will be arriving in December. Uh, talk about a niche car, um, but impressive, no, no doubt about it. Uh 107.8 kilowatt hour battery, um, 770 kilometer range, immense performance. It's going to be quite a thing. And quite beautiful oh, in too. it's Just, striking, yeah. To me, it uh
1: it elevates the S-Class to the position where the car historically has been like progressive, dynamic, and really just breaking through barriers in order to bring something new to the party. Love it.
2: Yeah, yeah no, I, so I talked earlier about, like, next generation of EVs with mm. iX and um, Ionic 5, but for me, the EQS is the next, next generation of EVs. You're talking, like, super long range, you know, 700 and but 70ks. But
0: also to your point, uh Byron, in terms of moving the game on, when I was pulling a few inches together of the car, you look at that dash. It's incredible. It's this mm-hmm. big, oddly shaped digital piece, you know, Hyper screen, con- they call it. Oh, it's a hyper screen. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's not a bad uh term for it, really. It is amazing. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I-, I can imagine, you know, it's gonna be the next uh gangster video uh you know yes. uh, cliche because yes. it just has that cut through yes in fact maybe madonna behind me in her 280c no, 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 no. cabriolet and when she makes she revives her career as as a novagenarian will probably be driving around in one of those yeah
0: yeah she has eyebrows now um, which is amazing yes. and yes. now you touched on it before uh this is the pole star uh the brand is going to be arriving in australia so it's late in the year november With uh, this particular thing, it's a sedan body, um, but um, Polestar 2, dynamics, luxury, 440 kilometres of range, the whole bit. Talk about great looking cars. This one is a winner for me too, in terms of the way it looks. What do you
2: guys think? Yeah, it's an interesting design, the Polestar 2, because it's a, it's a hatchback, it's a sedan, it's an SUV, it's kind of everything. You know? mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So in terms of making a, a statement, I think it certainly will because a lot of people just look at it and go, what is that? Like, mm-hmm. what is it? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting. But essentially, again, it's a mechanical rel- relative to the XC40 Recharge Pure Electric. So you're going to top out with that same 300 kilowatt, 660 newton metre, Dual motor powertrain. Um, there are other lesser powertrain options, but I'm not sure yet if what we're actually see in Australia. But either way, um, yeah, it could catch um, a few people by surprise. I think.
0: Yep, I think it's interesting to look at the evolution of Polestar. You know, it was a, a, a modifier or an enhancer of Volvo's and, and running all the more motorsport stuff, and now they're a, a kind of pure electric car company, standalone brand. All of that. It's been quite dramatic and quite rapid in terms of the way that that business has changed. Well, they saw the writing on the wall,
1: didn't they? And they yeah. thought, well, you know, <laughs> if we can't quite hit the um, M and uh, AMG levels, and, yeah. and uh, let's let's pioneer or or be great in another yep. era. and you know, it go, it'll do a it full circle because electrification lends itself to rapid performance and great dynamics, just by the just by pure design and and um, physics and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah all right.
1: I think it's. It's more than an emerging brand. I think it's going to be the Tesla, Sweden's Tesla, isn't it? There you go. All
0: right. Well, look, that's the wave. That's the electric car wave. We're paddling into it. We'll be in the green room shortly when um, they all start arriving. Um, And thank you for that, guys. We will now move on to our very own garage and touch on cars that we've been driving. Justin, you made it clear uh, off air before we started the show that you had a couple of points to make about this vehicle. Please put them on the table and tell us what you've been driving.
2: Uh, thank you. I've only been in this car for uh, 48 hours, but I already have some fairly strong opinions. Uh, I've, I picked up a base Hyundai Tucson uh, with the two-litre Atmo, or the MPI, um, and it's a it's a pretty good car overall, but I think there are a couple of things that deserve to be called out. But the first thing I noticed getting in it is how large the Tucson's become? Like it is genuinely on the large side of, of midsize now. It just feels big uh, which is great because there's so much space in the boot in the second row like it's it's a very spacious um, vehicle and obviously with the new design language it has as well it makes quite a statement on the road Um, for those of you that hasn't haven't seen it if you're watching on YouTube you'll see it now but um, it is definitely out there Um, but I think it looks great um, for that Um, and the interior itself yeah it's a bit of a mixed bag for me I don't quite like the design of the center stack with the touchscreen and the whole black panel with the touch-capacitive buttons or whatever. I think it's going to age really quickly. I already don't like it, um, just the look of it. So I'm not sure how that's going to stick around in the long term. But the two things I wanted to mention was this base car it has halogen headlights in 2021. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You, you're you channeling uh, Matt Campbell. I, right? I was, I was the about the to LED. bring up yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Matt Campbell. He's the uh, LED... Um, headlight vulture. Else. He's on you if you don't
0: have the LED headlights. Yeah. Indeed.
2: Um, and I want to join that uh that uh train. Uh you're him. on the branch next to him. I'm on the branch. I'm on the branch. Um, but yeah, no, LED headlights should absolutely be standard in any car uh from 2021 that's new, purely from a safety perspective. I mean, you're rolling around at night with halogens, it's effectively like hand, um, holding up a candle and hoping that you're gonna have full visibility. You're just not going to. Do, um, do you know what my theory is shocking. justin?
0: My theory is that they're actually cheaper uh, to manufacture and install than traditional halogens, but whilst ever you can charge a premium, do it. And I reckon no. I reckon the same's true for screens rather than traditional, uh, you know, analogue mechanical gauges. Yes. And it was very much true when Windows moved from manual cranks to electric motors, it was yeah. way cheaper to make and install electric motors, yet you could charge a premium there for a while.
2: You're 100% right as far as I'm concerned. They are making a point. Um, and Hyundai is not the only brand that does it Um, but certainly the Koreans that's Kia included are famous for doing it but they are making a point of saying okay, you bought the base car you're getting halogens you want LEDs Oh, you're going to have to go much further up the range to get that and I think it's a ridiculous point to make like you said when it comes to R&D it's much more expensive to come up with two different headlight solutions than it is just to have one the whole way through um, or, or whatever a variation of LED but Either way, I think it's it's stupid and it's wrong. Um, but that's the case. You need LED headlights. Plus, the DRLs are already LED and they look fantastic. But then you've got the headlights positioned lower on the bumper and they're halogen and they just look crap. Got it. Anyway, that's my halogen rant. My second yep. thing I wanted to say as well, something that I think should be standard, this base Tucson's got things like a, a wireless smartphone charger as standard, which is a great inclusion for 2021 onwards. But what it doesn't have is... Um, Keyless entry and start. It's key in the barrel. You've got to use the key fob to open the door. Again, for a car that costs as much as it does, I think you've got to be doing it keyless um, the whole way through. It's wow. convenient. It's not, about- it's not a safety thing, sure, but it's it's convenience. And I don't know, it's just annoying to pull a key out of your pocket. These days, it's a first-world it so really. automotive. It's
0: a first-world automotive problem.
2: It, just. it is. It is. I completely <laughs> acknowledge that. But um, you know, in Australia, we have a much higher specification of cars, generally speaking. And obviously, we go through personally so many different cars over the course of weeks, months, years, whatever. Um, and very rarely these days do you find yourself having to pull the key out of your pocket. So yeah, it's it's pretty disappointing when you do, particularly on a mid size SUV that you know, it costs 30 plus grand, you would have thought that somehow you would be able to include something like that when you've already got things like full safety, wireless smartphone charger, et cetera.
0: Right, so thank you, Justin. Uh, Tucson, uh, done and dusted. Byron, you have been in a significant car in world terms and it has been for many decades. The latest iteration of it is here. Please give us your thoughts. That's right, James. I've been in the base model
1: automatic Golf 8, um, simply known as, as the Golf 1110 TSI. Um, it doesn't really look that different to the old car. Uh, however, when you line them back-to-back, back, you can certainly see, or side-by-side, side, you can certainly see the changes. It Up looks to, a bit more sinister around the headlines, doesn't it? It's got that kind of hooded uh, look to it. Yeah, so yeah droopy and sinister is good. To me, it looks like an Angry Bird, <laughs> a bit like <laughs> yes. the old One Series. So yeah. Um, yeah. I, I personally don't think it has the purity of liners, the Mark 7. Um, this is a car for me that lives in the shadow of one of the great cars of the 2010s because the Mark 7 was a bit of a game changer when it was released uh, globally in late 2012. It was so far ahead of the competition. It just laid down the law. It just threw down the gauntlet and all those other cliches. Um, And you can't expect that huge level of jump again generationally because the Golf 7 as a 7.5 still ended up near the top of its class. Um, There are so many things to like about this Golf, Uh, particularly uh, its switch to in the lower range versions anyway, the 1.4 turbo carries over, but it it is now uh, paired to an eight-speed torque converter auto supplied by ASIN, Mm. Toyota-owned ASIN. And, you know, that, I think, is a reassurance for many people who uh, are a bit uh, wary of the uh, patchy reliability record of dual-clutch transmission. So um, that, for many people, is a reason to just go from a 7 or 2 and 8 because it has a new transmission. I think, by and large, it's a great thing uh, because you know it, you know it's a, it's a proven gearbox and uh, it drives fairly well. My only thing is that uh, my fuel consumption figures aren't as, uh, as, as good as uh, I've recorded with golfs with this engine in the past. Um, right. I was averaging around right. 10 liters per 100 kilometers. A lot of it was urban driving because it is an urban review. Mm. Um, and that's probably a little bit on the thirsty side, I thought, particularly as yeah. it does run on premium unleaded fuel. Mm. Uh, my other issue is uh, the interior to me seems a bit too stripped out and too Spartan
2: mm-hmm. for a
1: Golf, particularly at its $31,950 plus on road price point. You don't mm. get uh, satellite navigation, you don't get digital radio, there's no rear armrest with a cup holder uh, for the back seat. Mm. Um, and uh, that's a little bit disappointing. It doesn't feel as expensive or as opulent or as premium as Golfs used to. Mm. I feel that it maybe it's been a little bit, maybe um, uh, decontented in that way. Mm-hmm. And that's disappointing. However, the, ca- the car's chassis fluidity, the way it handles, the way it drives at speed, it's right up there. It, it feels light yet, planted to the road and uh, it, it talks to you and it, um, it's, invi- it's an invigorating drive in the way that the three, Peugeot 308 is and the way the Ford Focus is. So mm. I love that. That alone is um, enough uh, for, to get me over <laughs> the line. And also just one other thing, I like the fact that it's got deep windows and the interior is glassy and airy and feels spacious. And um, it, it so, yeah, overall, I think it's definitely worth checking out. But um, you might be disappointed in a couple of those areas that golfs are famous for. um, Just just to your thought about
2: the transmission, Byron, Um, ironically, Australia gets this eight-speed ASIN torque converter um, because of our poor fuel quality precluding us from getting the 1.5-litre, four-cylinder with the seven-speed dual-clutch transmission that's available in Europe and elsewhere. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so we don't get that because of our poor fuel uh, quality. But then, obviously, the downside of that is, like you found, is that the fuel consumption is now higher with the eight-speed because certainly in other cars that are available in Australia with that 1.5 and seven-speed uh, gearbox and not just in Volkswagens, but also skodas as well um the fuel economy in those cars is exceptional so there's obviously been a bit of a trade-off yeah there. I, think, I think i think tom,
0: tom I white think- tom, tom Sorry, white called correction. out after he drove the the car um that it's almost like a window um that this will close uh reasonably mm-hmm. soon as australia's mm-hmm. fuel quality might improve um mm-hmm. that configuration may not be necessary that's right hmm. uh a correction i did i think i said a 1.4 but it is 1.5 right no
1: no, yeah. no
2: the one you've got is a 1.4
1: it is 1.4 yeah. yeah it's the
2: old yeah. engine because yeah. we can't that's have right. the it 1. is 1. 1.5 which is the new yeah. engine oh, yeah. so I retract that cool yeah, <laughs> yeah sorry um,
0: i was just going to say before we move on to the car i've been driving justin just quickly we touched on um you know uh, Je- uh, byron's background tell us about the car behind you please
2: Oh, yeah. The the car behind me is, uh, for those that don't know, the Aston Martin DBS that was famously crashed uh, in Casino Royale uh, with Daniel Daniel Craig in 2006, from memory. Um, But at the time, it set the Guinness World Record for the number of rotations in a crash. I think off the top of my head, it was like 11 or something. (laughs) But this is the car post-crash, obviously, so it's lost it's lost a wheel, um, and and seen better days. But remarkably in good condition, Ricardo yeah. rolled eleven times. And, and famously, of course, Bond was okay. Um, so I'm sure this car is, is somewhere in Aston's collection. If not, the studio will own it. Tell you what though, it shows
1: the uh, the structural incredi- uh integrity of that VH platform that yeah.
0: came
2: like that was developed. I would say, in the early 2000s. Yeah, Yonks ago, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. The cynic in me, though, would probably say they'd reinforced it somehow for the scene, but if they want to claim a Guinness World Record, I guess they would have just used the production car. anyway, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, there was some think- cheeky panel beating after the scene. So. Yeah, don't you think <laughs> oh, <laughs>
0: Justin has a bit of Daniel Craig mess <laughs>
1: with his Aston.
0: Oh, uh, if
2: I could All be right. bombed, I would.
0: Cool. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on. I can uh, finish things up on this segment with... A Subaru XV Hybrid, and um, it's the Hybrid S, two liter, t- uh, two liter four cylinder, um, one hundred and ten kilowatts, one ninety six newton meters, and then a twelve point three kilowatt, sixty six newton meter AC electric motor, uh, with a CVT all wheel drive, just under forty one thousand uh, dollars before you put it on the road, and the things you can say about this car, the safety, the standard safety is great, even reverse AEB. Um, You've also got self-leveling LED headlights, leather, etc. I think the exterior looks pretty sharp. I wasn't in love with the colour uh, of the one that I was driving, but anyway, um, there've been some tweaks to the CVT, um, which do improve things a bit. More space than you'd think in the back. I, I was sitting in the back of the car, going, "This is, this is quite amazing." It steers nicely, and it's surprisingly refined. Um, on the on the negative side of the ledger, I found. Subaru's insistence with multiple screen setups um, in the center stack up to the base of the windscreen, I think it, it looks disjointed. It, it's not very good from an ergonomic point of view. It dates the dash design quite badly. Um, and as we've documented uh, with the original model and this more recent one, the fuel economy doesn't really add up in terms of a hybrid, the extra um, you know, premium that you have to pay to get the hybrid. Um, you're still looking at about 8 litres per 100, um it's a little reluctant from from step off, and I still think the CBT is a bit ordinary. So it's not exactly a uh, it, it's not bad, but it's not the kind of um, rapid nippy performance that you would like in a, in a car of this type. So, there is. As far as
2: hybrids go, though, it's, it's really not a, a Toyota hybrid or anywhere near no. the same level as no. you know, the only time you're ever going to really be driving electric in one of those is when you're in reverse, I'm pretty sure.
0: I think so. so it's it's ultra slow speed, I think, when it will go on. Yeah, and that's crawling. probably, yeah, when you're in reverse. Yeah. Um, yeah, there are different modes where, you know, motor and, and engine are interacting. But yeah, sure. that's true. Mm. That's true. All right. Now, let us continue to move on, and it's the feedback section where we're listening to your thoughts. And last week, Richard and Co touched on some more detail, or Aussie details, for the Land Cruiser 300, which has been such a big buzz um, during the last couple of weeks. And Diploma Mill Doc said, don't be part of the experiment. And Ian Thomas agreed. I'm sure other people had the same thought. Wait a year or two for the problems to surface by after others have been the guinea pigs. So that's, that's one point of view, I suppose. And you could say that about any new car or any new generation car that there will inevitably be some bugs and maybe you wait and see. Um, Glenn Jacobs had the alternate uh, position. He said, had my LC 200 for two years, about 70% hard dirt K's from Cape York outback to Tasmania Um, in line and order the 300 can't wait to do the same dirt case with it most buyers won't use it off-road really but that doesn't change the significance of its cultural off-road language brilliant phrase Um, there'll be bugs to sort out because it's a new model i'd rather have fun sorting those bugs out in the water air and technical dirt than sitting around waiting for a few years waiting for it to be okay where where do you guys sit on that on the two sides of, of those scales are you a wait and see or are you a dive in
2: yeah, I think it's, like you said, with the technology in general, be it computers, phones, cars, whatever, um, you're always going to have your early adopters. And typically, when it comes to tech, I probably find myself being an early adopter. Um, but certainly, when it comes to to cars, obviously, you know, LC300, you're talking about a new engine, new platform, all that kind of stuff. You know, the 200 is is tried and true. People know what they're getting themselves into. 300 is always going to be a bit of a mystery until you actually get your feet wet. So um yeah I, I don't have any strong thoughts um personally but you know you yeah it's it's untried I guess
0: or a new you've bought you've bought some cars sometime after they were launched um are you are you a, a wait- and see person <laughs> uh
1: definitely not um I, I I kind of agree with Justin that you know I, I tend to dive right in uh, I as I said earlier I was a fairly early adopter for electric vehicles mm. Uh But I think within the case of the, say, the Land Cruiser, um, I mean, those things are so expensive to begin with now. Uh, I think people with a lot of money or disposable income or that sort of thing can probably afford to take a chance and, you know, and also probably expect technology. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, Also, don't forget, like, in the
2: first five years, you are going to have warranties. So Mm. most issues you would assume hopefully, are going to happen much later in life. But if something were to happen in the short term, you know, yeah. you're going to have coverage unless you've done something really stupid.
0: Well, if Toyota was really smart, they'd do an Elon and just charge people ahead of time for stuff that they haven't supplied yet
2: and yeah. make that
0: part of the warranty process as well. Who's Elon? who's Elon? Oh, yeah, some dude. Some dude. Um, now... <laughs> Uh, Hammer Rocks, there was, there was also chat about the potential for a hybrid, you know, LC300. Um, Hammer Rocks said that in his opinion, there were just two big issues with that. GVM um, and Joe King, great name as always, Joe King agreed. Um, and water as in weighting, um, batteries and water, not typically uh, uh, happy bedfellows. Um, and how much weight is left for payload before reaching GVM when you've got these, these heavy batteries and things. So I suppose they're, they're very uh, valid concerns. You'd want to have the 100% waterproofing around those lithiums, uh, the wires, cables, venting ducts. If you're going to be wading in 700 millimetres of water, what, what does that mean? Uh, is that too simplistic a, a response or, or genuine kind of a concern? What do you reckon, Justin? I, th-
2: I think the concern is genuine there, but I, I would point to the Jeep Wrangler plug-in hybrid as an example. Yeah. Um, that's yep. obviously something that we've seen recently. Um, it has, still has the off-road credentials you expect of a, of a Wrangler, but obviously they've gone to lengths to make sure that certain things aren't compromised. So if there's anyone out there that's um, concerned about that, then I would go and compare yeah, the PHEV Wrangler to an ICE Wrangler and, and see the difference or perhaps like thereof. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for what it's worth, the Wrangler PHEV in the States has been selling ridiculously, apparently. So, um, you know, there seems to be no sort of apprehension over there um, for those particular buyers. But on the topic of the LC300 um, hybrid or the possibility of one, just a bit of a tease on the weekends, we're uh, publishing a story from Mr. 300, Andrew Chesterton, <laughs> um, on the topic. Yeah. So look forward to that one.
0: Interesting. All right. Um, Now, the other feedback we had was about an idea that that Richard had uh, last week when we were talking about ANCAP stars and how there's a a lag in that a car that's been assessed against criteria from ANCAP that, say, 2016, maybe even earlier, still stands up as five stars today, even though the criteria to gain five stars for a new car has stepped up considerably. So his idea was to add a star each year. If you meet the criteria, you're no longer five-star, you're six-star. And on it goes for as long as the car exists. Senior Bob thought this was a great idea as well. Um, and Jim Danek says, look, maybe the alternative could be to take a star away each year, um, but you don't meet the criteria. So nobody's going to want a minus five-star rated car. I think, all jokes aside, I think there is a lag, and ANCAP's and aware of it. But um, it, it's not exactly ideal when you're not comparing apples with apples in this regard. Do you, do you have an opinion on this, Byron? Yeah, I do. Um,
1: putting some um, thought to it, like a whole 20 seconds, it occurred to me that maybe rather than go a whole star, maybe just go like 5.1, 5.2, 5.3 stars. Right. Uh, and that way, so, um, you know, a competitor model will have a goal to get that other extra 0.1 of a star to top it, and that gives – bragging rights but that can also work in reverse so each year maybe each car should go back 0.1 mm. to, um, mm. if, if it doesn't adopt things yeah so that way it gives you it, it gives scope for uh, for for uh, models that have still got some life to improve and also it punishes uh complacency so
0: yeah i think I th- it kind so of goes what- to the nature of what an ancap assessment is because i think you know Conceptually, most people see a car slamming into a barrier and, and it's a crash test, but it is also an assessment of the car's active safety features, all of those crash, crash avoidance uh, features, as well as those passive factors that will potentially save lives or reduce injury um, when the car actually crashes. Mm. There are some things, you know, it's very expensive to organise one of those tests and to assess a car. So ANCAP, I presume, doesn't have bottomless pockets. It, it, it can't be testing every car, Every year there has to be some kind of compromise there at the moment anyway, Um, but an assessment, a reassessment is something that I would have thought could be done um, on an annual basis.
2: But to Byron's point, uh, not all five-star or four-star or three-star, two-one for that matter. Cars are created equal, right? So if you go into a showroom and you pick up a brochure and it says, oh, this Corolla is a five-star car, and then you go and look at a Focus and it's five stars as well, they're not apples for apples. And no. most people aren't going to go to ANCAP's website and download the technical report and compare and go, okay, well, this one's got 98% for adult occupant protection, whereas this one's 92%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but also, like, their argument for um, this whole system and how you uh, tell the difference between the quality of the testing... Uh, is the fact that it's all uh, timestamps? So every ANCAP rating says ANCAP twenty twenty one. Okay, great. This is a, a new yeah. test. This is five stars. This is as good as it gets. Uh, okay, twenty sixteen. Sure, whatever. Like, but there are very different, very big differences in the protocol and testing standards. So a five star car from twenty sixteen would might only be a two star car in twenty twenty one. You know. So yeah, but most no, no one knows that though, except people that. Obviously, it have intimate knowledge on the topic, but, but it's, most to people that walk into would have no clue.
0: To your point, to that exact point, though, Justin, I suppose to extend it further, people wouldn't really know what t- five-star 2016, five-star 2021 means. I still I think they're still just seeing five stars and thinking, you know, that's that's the maximum rating.
2: But even more damning is half the time we get confused and we're supposed to be the ones that are the the experts. You know, like I just how many get, times get, I've had to search and make sure that I'm like 100% sure that, okay, this is a 2021 thing or, or whatever. Mm. Um, you know, you're always seeking clarification on those things. I, I mean,
0: forget ANCAP. I'm just permanently confused about um, <laughs> you know, things in, in general. Um now, uh, the, to, to, to finish off the feedback section, uh, Grudlin74 uh, congratulated what he's calling the apprentice tools uh, last week. Uh, he's calling Richard Longberry's, uh Risque, LC300 Chesto, and cool. Tom White haven't worked out a nickname yet. I would suggest Barry um, yeah. or Walter. Um, he yeah. says, great podcast. Given Oz is exposed to 60 brands, which model gems should be getting more attention in your eyes? He has a soft spot for the GWM Ute at sub 38K. It's a lot of car that provides 90% of whatever he's going to need. Your thoughts? Um, I can lead off. I think the Alpine A110 and when we get the S version, it's going to be quite something. That car is a hidden gem. I think in terms of a small sports car, I, I also like the Alpha 4C, but the Alpine A110 is more refined, it's pretty much the perfect sports car in my view, and it gets no love.
2: I completely agree. If I could buy a sports car tomorrow, I reckon it would be an Alpine A110. It is amazing. Byron?
1: Same. Unanimity. Unanimity.
2: Such a rare. yeah,
1: it's just that car is seductive in every possible sense. It, would you rather buy an
2: A110 or an MX30 electric? <laughs> wow! Oh just my God, so, you are you, pushing keep, the
0: button. you will keep. Um, so that's a good question, and uh, it'd be great to get people's feedback. What What do you think? What do you think is the hidden gem that is out there, but no one knows about, and should be doing a whole lot better? Um, anyway, that is we where we have reached the finish line, and I want to say thank you, Byron. Thank and you, James. Thank you, Justin. Thank you, and thank you to our virtual sous chef. Corporate empath and C-3PO impersonator, Mr. Pritchard, for his single-minded focus on podcast production excellence. Today, he's wearing a T-shirt saying, you can't tell me what to do. You're not my daughter. Um, Teletubby's pants and Gary the snail slippers. Um, Let us know your thoughts. You can find Cars Guide on Facebook and Instagram or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. If you're an Apple Podcast listener, please rate and review us. And make sure you subscribe to the Cars Guide YouTube channel so you can stay on top of all our, our latest content. Remember to look out for Cars Guide Podcast uh, next time around. But before we go, Bloke walks into a pub with a roll of bitumen under one arm, orders a beer, and the barman says, and one for the road.
1: Hello. Oh, <laughs> James, James, James. I like that one.